You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Last week we started in the book Acts. We did a little bit of recap. Acts is a story that's historical narrative. So it's, it's the author Luke telling a, a historical account of things that happen. Real people, real places, real times. It's not like a sequential a very chronological event of like a short period of time. It's not like this happened and then the next day they did this and the next day they did this and the next hour this happened. That's not what's going on. What's going on is Luke is recording like a historian a bunch of significant people and places and events that happened over a period of about 31 years. You following me? So all that we're seeing in the book of Acts is the stuff that by God's guiding... And, and Luke's wisdom, uh, Luke felt was the things that needed to be in the book of Acts, okay? And we also learned that it was part two of a, a two-part volume that Luke wrote. The first one, that uh, first letter he wrote was called the Gospel of Luke, is what we know as in our Gospels. And then uh, in the Gospel of Luke, he wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach, Okay, And in the second part, he goes on to say that he's going to write about what Jesus continues to do through the work of the Spirit. Okay, And he wrote both of these to a guy with a really cool name, Theopolis. I know you guys want to say it, so let's all say it. Theopolis. Theopolis. I met a little guy uh, a couple weeks ago, a little boy named Theo, and I was like, oh, is it Theopolis? And his mom's like, no. (laughs) Like, all right, well, I was trying to be cool. I'm really bad at being cool and awesome at being awkward. I have it mastered, right? So he writes this book to a guy named Theopolis, both of these. And we talked about last week real quick why Theopolis was such a, why was that a big deal? Who was he? Who was he as a player in the mix? What was the significance of Theopolis? He was the governor in the town that Luke lived, uh, grew up from and came from. And the reason he would write to Theopolis was it gave the letter weight and importance and significance. It was like someone in our modern world um, jumping on board with an influencer to get their message out. To which everybody in this room is like, whoa. Whoa. You guys are getting the hang of it, right? I'm telling you, you're going to have to loosen up and hang on with me today, all right? So he, 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 he writes to Theopolis, and because of that, it helps give this letter weight and significance. It helps make sure that it doesn't get lost in the shuffle. It went to someone important and therefore everybody wants to know who said what to this guy, right? It was a way for Luke to make sure this letter stood the test of time. All right? And so the author Luke, we learned a little bit about. We learned that he's a doctor. We know that because Paul talked about him at the end of Colossians in 4.14. He said his, his buddy Luke, the doctor, was also with him sending his greetings. We don't know a lot about Luke in the scriptures. In all of the New Testament, he's only mentioned three times by name. And yet Luke is a tremendously huge influencer and historian and what we know about the New Testament church as a a writer of the Gospel of Luke and the writer of Acts, a lot of the picture of the early church that we get and what happened and all of these new amazing things that God did, a lot of it comes from this guy Luke. And here's another significant detail about Luke. He's not Jewish. I don't know if you guys realize this, but it's 
very reasonable to believe that Luke is the only author of the entire Bible, of all the text in the Bible, he is the only writer that's not Jewish. Which means he's what? He's a Gentile. And for us in the Northwest, we don't have a big Jewish population that I'm aware of in Pullman, unless I'm missing the boat, which I could be. Uh, Most of us in this room are Gentiles. Now, don't get too hung up on that. It's really simple. All a Gentile is, is not a Jew. All right? You tracking with me? So Luke, not being a Jew, is a Gentile. And As a Gentile, he doesn't have this Jewish heritage. He didn't grow up memorizing Torah. He didn't grow up knowing the God of the Jews, the one true God. He grew up in a pagan culture that had many gods or just worshiped no God. And so as he came to faith and and put his trust in the true one God of the Jews, he has a different perspective and sees things differently because he doesn't have the heritage that the other apostles and disciples did. And so Luke writes with really unique perspective in that he, very, he pays a lot of attention to how people like him get to know and follow the, the God of the Jews. Like, how can someone that's not a Jew come to believe in, in the one true God and receive salvation and, and, and receive the spirit and walk with that God. Like, what, what do you have to do? Because I didn't grow up that way. I wasn't born into it. I'm choosing it later. Now what, right? That feels really relatable to where we're at today. And we're going to see all throughout the book of Acts this huge tension that revolves around that exact issue. How do people like us that didn't grow up or be born into this Jewish faith, this ancient religion, and we come later to faith as, as Gentiles, not Jews, that want to believe in and put our trust in the one true God, how do we actually do that? Do we have to become Jewish? And there's this tension, and, and this answering that question of how do people like the rest of us come to know and follow God is a battle that gets fought over and over and over throughout the book of Acts. People get beat up over it. People get thrown in jail over it. People get persecuted, falsely accused. There are huge heated arguments and debates about how and what needs to happen so that other people that aren't Jews can become God followers and God fearers. And we're going to get a walk through all of these arguments and tensions in the book of Acts that are super, super, super relevant to those of us in this room that also know people that didn't grow up religious and don't have a Jewish background and don't really know what it means to follow the one true God. And now they sort of are interested in wanting to, and we're trying to help them answer the riddle of how do you do that and what is required of you. Everything they wrestle through in the book of Acts is immediately applicable to us to walk through that with our friends that are trying to come and figure out how to follow God. So we got a lot of cool lessons in store. So that kind of tees us up and gets us ready. The story we're going to jump into today is in Acts chapter 2. How many of you guys read what you were supposed to read before you came today? I can't see over there very good. Anybody? Bueller? Oh yeah, a couple people. All right. Gold stars, these are air stars. I'm throwing them out, so catch them, okay? Not ninja stars, because those are dangerous. All right, good job. All right, every week there's going to be a little bit of reading. 
that I'll give out at the end. It's going to be in the bottom of your sermon notes every week, so you know what you need to read to come ready for next week to get the most out of this, all right? So um, this week we're in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, there is a thing going on. And if you do not understand what this thing is or the, the story around it or the picture around it, it's really hard to get out of Acts 2 what's really going on, right? So the thing that's going on is a festival. It's a really significant festival for the Jews. It's called Pentecost. Pentecost is a Greek word. It just means 50, right? So it's 50. And, and here's why it means there, why it's called Pentecost, because it's a festival and a celebration that happens 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Passover, the Jews celebrate Pentecost. It also goes by some other names, like um, the Feast of Weeks is another t- uh, reference to it. It's talking about the same festival. And it's also called, uh, the Jews call it, and I, I had somebody help me last service because I said it wrong, and they told me the right way to say it afterwards, and I already forgot. Shavuot. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> what he said. It's also called that. And so when we see those different terms or names, we're talking about the same festival that happened, okay? Now, what we need to learn about Pentecost to help us be ready for Acts 2 is a couple of things. Pentecost is a uh, harvest celebration where they bring an offering of thanks to the Lord on behalf of his blessing their crops. It's a, a festival that is a really significant festival. The Jews had a lot of different celebrations and festivals. This one is one of the three festivals um, that they would actually uh, do a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate. And that's really important that we understand that and recognize what's going on, okay? Let me, don't take my word for it. Let's look at this real quick in Exodus. It says, three times a year, or Deuteronomy, sorry. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place you will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, so that's the first one, the festival of weeks, which is the one we're talking about, and the festival of tabernacles. So all of the men come before him. No one should appear before the Lord empty-handed. Each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. So this is a big deal. This is a pilgrimage festival that's going on in the story that's taking place. And to give you a, like a reference in your mind to help you understand who the players are in this story that we're going to look at, look at this map up here. These are all of the places that are represented that have people come from all of these far off lands to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost from all of these different places. Jews, because of persecution and exile, had spread and fled and gone to the, all, the, the whole entire known earth at the time and settled and established themselves. And so these three times a year, they make these huge pilgrimages back to Jerusalem to celebrate and have this festival. So you could imagine it's a little bit like a million times uh, mom's weekend in Pullman. That sort of feel, right? Like, like there's no motel rooms, right? Like that kind of thing, except more, right? And so you've got all of these people that are from these different things. They share in common their Jewish heritage and faith, but they also have with them different languages, different kind of dialects and different uh, accents and everything. You can imagine if we had something going on in Pullman and people from all over the United States were here and you just sat and listened to the voices going on, you'd be like, man, there's, they're not from around here, Right? That's the vibe. That's the environment in Jerusalem. All of these people from all of these different places by the thousands crammed into this place 
to bring their offering. And that sets the stage to help you understand like when this story takes place, now you sort of know like what's happening. All right, let's jump into it. Acts chapter two. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and the smoke, uh, oh, yeah, I got ahead of myself. I was so excited last service, I forgot half the sermon this service. All right, one more thing about Pentecost. I know. One more thing about Pentecost, and this is, this is sort of a really important thing, so it's good that you guys reminded me. Um, in Pentecost, it's also a celebration that's uh, attached to the giving of the law because when God gave the law to Moses, it was 50 days after Passover. It was at, believed to be at the same time. And when God gave the law to Moses, he came down and, and he revealed his presence on Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, he came down in fire and smoke and, and uh, this amazing, miraculous way that was pretty overwhelming. And when the people saw what was going on, this is what they had to say about it. Now we'll hit this one. All right. Uh, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Right? So they're sort of like, we totally get that that's God up there on the mountain. Like it is awe-inspiring, fear, trembling, insanely awesome and scary all at the same time. And we would love for you to let us know what he wants us to know. Could we rather maybe not go up there? And so they recognized that this fire represented the presence of God. And then later, as God starts to lead them through the wilderness, again, we see that God gives them instructions to build a tabernacle in this tent of meeting where God's presence would rest and reside with his people. And in the tabernacle above it would be this cloud of smoke. And then at night, it would be full of fire, And God would lead and guide his people with this fire. And fire represented God's presence. Take a look at what he had to say here. He says, "Uh, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle in all of the travels of the Israelites. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day that it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. So we're getting this picture throughout time where God comes to his people and he reveals his presence among them as fire. It's a a significant thing. And Luke is going to do something as he records what happens in this event in Pentecost, and he's going to bring up another picture of fire. Something crazy happens with fire. If you don't sort of understand how God's presence shows up to his people and how he has revealed himself in his awe and, and wonder to his people through fire and smoke, when we see Pentecost and we hear about this tongue of fire thing, it can sort of just sound weird, Right? You can sort of be like, okay, everybody's talking weird stuff and there's tongues of fire. What is going on there? But Luke's trying to help us understand something really important about the the new thing that God is doing for the first time ever. His presence is going to show up and reside somewhere new and different. And we're going to dig into that, all right? 
Now how about we start Acts? Let's do it. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house that they were sit- uh, where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they said, aren't all these people speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near the Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what in the world is going on? Some, however, made fun of them and said that they've had too much wine. All right? Now, we're going to segue back into that in a second. But I've got to kind of get your frame of mind right to help you understand what is happening with Peter in the next chunk of this story. Have you ever had something in your own personal life, like a thing, an event, a story, some awesome thing? Have you ever had something going on that you just could not wait to tell somebody about? Yes. We're going to have to get stronger coffee. Have you ever had something that if the, if the right person at the right time just even looked at you, it was like, it's coming out, sorry, sorry, this wasn't even the story meant for you, but, but you showed a little bit of interest, so you're going to hear my story, because this story is so good, or this news is so good, or this thing that happened to me is so good, I actually can't not tell you about it, I'm sorry. Have you ever had that? I have. And some poor guy got it yesterday. I don't know if you guys have heard, but God's been up to something cool in my life and with my friends in my after hours adventure outside of my full-time ministry job of uh, building beds for kids, right? It has been super cool, super, super cool, absolutely blown away, way beyond anything I ever dreamed of, and God is doing amazing, miraculous things. And, and here's the deal. In my life right now, in the last few weeks, if you get near me, like if you walk by me on the street in town, I will probably wrangle you and tell you a bad miracle story. I can't help it. It's oozing out of me. Yesterday morning, we're going to deliver beds, and I got one of my guys, Zach, with me, and, and he's been a huge help, and, and he and I are running to go get a trailer because I have a flatbed trailer that's open, and it turned out that there was like a winter storm warning yesterday morning, right? Perfect for delivering furniture. That was a bad idea. So, genius idea. U-Haul, we'll go get an enclosed trailer. So we go to U-Haul to get an enclosed trailer. It is miserable. People are like, you know, like the snow in your ear sideways, miserable. And I go inside and all the U-Haul guys are like, I hate the weather, right? And it's like tough. Nobody likes it. It's cold. Okay. Sorry if you work at U-Haul. I was not referencing you personally. Um, And this really is a cool U-Haul story in the end. So rabbit trails. Uh, So I'm standing in there and 
and I'm just smiling, I'm happy, I am so looking forward to the day because I know that this is a day that eight kids who woke up on the floor without a bed this morning, tonight, that night, they're gonna go to bed in their own brand new bed for the very first time. So I just can't hardly contain it, right? I am grinning, I'm excited, I'm eager, I'm looking forward to the day, and I'm renting a U-Haul trailer. And I'm standing there waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, right, and all this. And, the, and I'm friendly, and I'm pretty positive, and I got a touch of energy, um, just a little. And, and the U-Haul guy is like, you know, you're, you're in a pretty good mood. And he said something nice to me, right? And I was like, yeah, I am. And he's like, well, that's weird. He's, he's like, customers like you make it better because everybody else is sad about the weather, blah, blah, blah. And he says something about the weather. And I'm like, dude, I could care less about the weather. Today is a good day. And here's where he went wrong. He said, really? Why is today a good day? I told him. And so the U-Haul guy got a sermon on blessing beds. I said, man, let me tell you what today is about. And I just told him about kids getting off the floor and this cool thing we're going on and I'm grabbing a piece of paper and my mouth is moving and my hand is writing and I'm getting him signed up to whatever, right? And I hand him, I said, just check this out. If it's ever something you're interested in, like jump on the train, man. We need people that love kids and care about them. There's all kinds of stuff and blah, and I hand him the stuff. And he looks at it and he's like, oh, whoa, I'm like the manager of U-Haul. This is amazing. This is so cool. We actually have discretionary money and I actually can figure out some ways to get you some money and I'm like okay right and then he says this is something I'm really interested in and I'd like to be a part of let me just make sure I get all this stuff down and and we'll communicate and I want to figure out how to help with this and and some of my staff needs like community service things that we could do maybe some of them could volunteer and do this and blah blah blah. next thing you know it's like it had nothing to do with the U-Haul trailer but this guy is crazy excited to help do a God thing and I don't even know if he knows God right (laughs) I promise you he's going to be in my basement in the next couple of weeks. So that's where I bring my subjects. <laughs> to build beds. Right? You guys do that? You guys build beds in your basement? Right. I'm a little weird. All right. So, here's the thing. Peter had something like that boiling in him. Peter had one of those like, just look at me wrong and it's going to come out of me sermons, right? Like he had this one that was brewing that he could not wait to just launch. And it was like the right time and the right place and the right crowd. And there was a sermon in Peter that was just like oozing to get out, like me trying to preach to a U-Haul guy. Right? Now, here's the cool thing. The stage is set, right? We're in Jerusalem. There are thousands and thousands of people from all around the world. This is a preacher's dream. And it gets better because not only are there thousands of people from around the world, but on this miraculous day, something unique is set up by God's help, all of these people from all these different places that spoke all these different languages all have miracle ear and can hear Peter's sermon in their own language. A sermon is a preacher's dream times a million, right? How cool is that? And, and let me tell you what, Peter, he threw down. He was like, whoo, this is the day. 
And so it goes like this. I want to share it with you guys. Let's look at the beginning of it, and then we're going to dive in. In the very beginning, he responded to him. He says, then Peter stood up with the 11. So these are the other apostles. we got thousands of people, and Peter stands up with his guys, and he says, he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. We never get drunk till afternoon. Strike that from the record. That's not true. Ah, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And so he's, he's up there and he responds to their, he, he kind of starts and hooks up with where they're at. Like, you guys are laughing because you think they're drunk. He's like, oh, you have no idea what I've got in store. I've got a sermon brewing that I need to tell you guys. And here's, here's Peter with his guys, his buddies around him, and there's thousands of people and all of this noise and this hustle and this bustle and, and murmuring and kids and foot shuffling, and he's raising his voice to throw down and give this awesome message that he just can't contain any longer. It goes something like this. He says, he says think about this. He said, This is what Joel spoke about before. He says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on everyone. Your your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will pour my servant, my uh, spirit out, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. He's like, I will cause wonders in the heaven and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke and and he's just throwing down this message he says the sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the lord arrives but everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved and peter says people of israel listen listen god publicly endorsed jesus the nazarene through all of the miracles and wondrous signs and amazing things he did with him like we all know this Right? He's like, we all know this. But God knew what would happen. He knew that would happen when his prearranged plan came into purpose when, when Jesus was betrayed. He says, with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death because death could not hold its grip on him. Peter said, listen what King David had to say about him. Even King David prophesied about Jesus. He said, I see that the Lord is always with me, David said. I will not be shaken for he's right beside me. My wonder and my heart is glad and and my tongue shouts praise. My body rests in hope for you will not leave my soul among the dead and you will not let my body rot in a grave because you have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. And Peter goes on to say, listen, dear brothers, like, get this. This isn't David talking about himself. Because we know that David died and he's buried in a tomb and he's still right here among us. But he was a prophet and he knew God promised that that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. He said David was a prophet and he was looking to the future and he was speaking about the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that that God wouldn't leave him among the dead. That he wouldn't let his body rot in a tomb. Instead, God raised him from the dead. And we're all witnesses of this. Now, now he's exalted to the place of highest honor at the right hand of the throne of God. And the Father, he promised. 
just like he promised. He gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us. Just like you have seen here today and heard. He says, David himself, he never ascended to heaven. He even said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies and make make him a footstool under my feet. And Peter goes on, he says, let everyone in Israel know for certain that, that God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced their heart. And these thousands of people were looking left and right to one another in, in awe and wonder and, and speculating and, and thinking out loud like, gosh, okay, this is all starting to come together. We're starting to understand who he really was, but now what? Now what do we do? And so it says that they spoke up and talked to Peter and the other apostles and said, brothers, now what should we do? And he replied and told them, each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then, and then you will receive this free gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, listen, this is a promise. This is a promise for you. It's a promise for your kids. It's a promise for all who are far off. This is true for everyone that the Lord our God will call to himself. This is the cool thing about this message that Peter just had bottled up that he couldn't wait to get out is, is here he's got thousands of people at, his, at the ready that can hear in their own tongue that have been a, a, a part of or a witness to this tragedy that happened with Jesus and yet Peter looks at him and he doesn't spend a whole bunch of time trying to beat him up or tell him how they did wrong or, or how many mistakes they made or how their mistakes are unfixable. He spends a lot of time telling them who Jesus is, why they can trust that he is the Messiah that God said that he was. And then he spends a little bit of time saying, yeah, 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 you guys did mess up along with the Gentiles. You guys kind of screwed that whole deal up. But, but... Then he gets to his favorite part of the story because I love this part of the story because he lays it all out of who Jesus was and he kind of talks to him a little bit about maybe some of their part of their ownership in it and how they had kind of gone wrong or, or not seen who Jesus really was. But then someone or some people in the crowd did the thing that the U-Haul guy did to me. They made the mistake of sort of asking more. They said, now what do we do? And it got to Peter's favorite part, right? Like this, this is it. This is the now what we do. Now what you do, now what you do is admit that you messed up. Turn from your sin, ask God for forgiveness, get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit. Now here's the cool thing. Because Peter was faithful and he cut loose with this message at the right time in the right place that God had given him and put on his heart, In this miraculous day, in this miraculous circumstance, amazing thing happened. Amazing things happened. Let me finish it together. Let's look in the text. It goes like this. 
With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Could you imagine thousands of people getting baptized? Thousands of people getting baptized? We're going to need more seats, right? Y'all don't mind coming to church at 4 a.m., right? Because the new people need this service. Like, it's that kind of thing. You see, in this whole story, Luke is making sure that there are some things recorded for us that he doesn't want us to miss. He doesn't want us to miss Peter's amazing sermon, but Peter's amazing sermon and the the things that are going on in Acts chapter 2 tie in to how God is going to reveal himself and how God is going to be available to his people. All throughout history, God had appeared to his people in a place through fire and showed his presence like we learned at the beginning. But now at Pentecost, God does something new. He shows up and this fire isn't over the temple anymore. Now this fire shows up and it separates out and it actually rests over individual people. And God is painting a picture and Luke's making sure that we don't miss it, that now God's doing something new. He is going to be personally intimately available to those who will admit their faults, repent from their sin, be baptized. They will now receive the presence of God, his spirit in them personally. Check this out. He was giving them this picture that now God's not going to be on a mountain. Now God's not going to lead you around and and you're going to have to go find him in a temple. Now God is going to come to you personally and you as a person who receives the Holy Spirit, you now are going to be God's mobile mini temple. Did you know that? That you actually carry around as a believer of Jesus, God's presence in you. Think of the difference. Think of the impact. Not only is God going to start changing who you are, reshaping, sifting, convicting you of things personally, helping you grow and mature and become more like his son Jesus, but as you carry God with you and you are being changed by him, look at the difference it's going to make to the people around you because people around you who don't know God have no idea that they just sat down to have lunch with a temple of Jesus. Are you following me? You don't have to get them to church. You just have to get them to you. And you, with God's help in you, get to be his representative and give people a taste and an experience of what it's like to know and live with the one true God. That's the picture that Luke wanted to make sure we had. Those are the things that we need to remember and and stick in our brains as we think about this amazing story at Pentecost. 
that for the first time in history, God did something new. And we see the corner turn in the history of our faith where now God is available to each and every one of us personally. And that exact same thing is true today. I got another bed story for you. (laughs) Just kidding. I got to be done. So, we're going to have communion before we go home. So, those of you that are going to serve communion, if you could help pass out communion. Uh, At Real Life, if you're new with us, we do communion every week. And uh, we would love for you to take communion with us if um, you want to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, We would love you to take communion with us. When they pass out the elements, if you just hold on to them and we'll take it together as a family at the end of service, okay? Sound good? All right, we're gonna hit a couple of things. In your notes are these kind of talking points, uh, takeaways, and then in the bottom of your notes is also uh, your reading for next week. So don't forget to read for next week, but let's hit a couple of these things here real quick. First one, God left no doubt at Pentecost that he was doing something new, dwelling in people personally rather than a place, right? Like, Like, that's one of our big, big takeaways from Acts 2, is that this is one of the places in scripture where we get to see for the first time God is doing something new and being available to you personally. Let's look at the next one. Jesus made it clear in his teaching that there was no way to get to know God in this new personal way without completely trusting him alone to save and forgive you of your sin, right? Like, like you can have available the presence of God. You can have forgiveness for everything you've ever done wrong, every mistake you've ever made, every stupid thing you've ever messed up on, right? And, and, and even stuff you did wrong on purpose. Like all of that is forgivable. And Jesus said that the way to receive that forgiveness is through him, through faith and trust that he is who he said he was. Just like Peter's whole sermon. It's like he was trying to remind everybody like God endorsed Jesus as the Messiah, he proved it through all the amazing things he did. He's a, he's, you can trust that he is who God said he was and, his, and faith in him will do what it, it's supposed to do. He, you can receive forgiveness for that. Let's look at the last one. For those of you that have done this, you truly are a mobile temple where the presence of God resides. Like that's it. When you have received forgiveness, when you have put your faith and trust in God, when you have been baptized, you really are a mobile mini temple. I feel like you should say, I'm a mobile mini temple. Try it out. I'm a mobile mini temple. You can't say it without smiling. I'm a mobile mini temple. I'm minier than some of you. Right? That's what we get to be. We get to take God's presence with us each and every place we go. Every week, we finish up with communion, and, and we do this because it helps us remember and not get far from reflecting on what God has done with us for us through Christ. It, it helps it not get too far removed from our heart and our gratitude and our thankfulness as we reflect on what Jesus did for us on the cross, the fact that we get God's presence with us and we get to be mobile mini temples is all because Jesus followed through with the plan. 
And he did what he did on the cross. And so every week we take time to remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. He said, as often as we get together, let's eat this and remember it to him. And in the same way, after dinner, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the new covenant, which is his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So as we drink this cup, reflect on the forgiveness of, of your sins and mistakes that you have available because of the blood of Christ. And let's drink together. Let's pray. God, you're a good God. We love you. We are so glad, Lord, that you gave us acts, that you gave Luke the wisdom and words to record the things that we need, that we can get this wonderful picture of you coming to be with us in a new and personal way. Help us to keep experiencing that and just getting to know you better. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.